Welcome to the MacPFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you all sorts of content from inspiring you to teach or supervise differently to leading and managing your team to thinking about new creative ways or humanistic ways to actually do your work and finally to up your game in your scholarly practice. Are you excited yet? I certainly am. So sit back, listen, and enjoy this latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark podcast. In this episode, you're going to hear from Dr. Amanda Bell and Dr. Anjali Kundi talk about culture in a distributed medical environment. They talk about topics ranging from building the culture to various techniques on how to maintain a positive environment in medical education. We hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome everyone to this week's segment of the Mac PFD podcast, Dear Supervisor Clinical Edition. I am extremely excited to be back with you as your host. I'm Dr. Aleem Nagji, and I am very excited to be filming this podcast um, as a travel episode. So buckle up, get ready. We are going really far. We're going exotic here. We've got some very special guests all the way from NRC, Dr. Amanda Bell and Dr. Anjali Kundi. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourselves and let us know what you're all about. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Dr. Amanda Bell. I'm a family physician in a small town called Port Colborne, Ontario, which is at the south end of the Niagara Peninsula. And I have been the regional assistant dean at the Niagara Regional Campus, fondly known as NRC, uh, for the last five years. And I am Anjali Kundi. I am a family doctor and in a neighboring community to Amanda. I'm in Welland, Ontario, and um, I'm also the faculty development coordinator at the Niagara Regional Campus. That's amazing. We're, we're really excited to be traveling out to, uh, to Niagara Region uh, for this special segment. And one of the questions that we had kind of received from our listeners was around culture. And I, I thought it would be great for us to have this conversation because my experience is in the distributed medical education setup is that these campuses have a very unique sense of culture. And I really wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit. Um, thinking about your experiences in the NRC and, and thinking about culture in a distributed medical environment, how do you actually build that culture? How do you make it so that everyone there is drinking that Kool-Aid? Cause it seems like everyone is totally on board and really excited and really enthusiastic. So, so Anjali, how do you really do this as, as a faculty development coordinator? You know, I think that's a really good question. I'm not sure that I have one specific answer. And like many things, I think it's something where you can plant the seed and water it and encourage it and hope that what you want flourishes. I think Niagara has some ingredients, which uh, these are largely my opinion, but I, I think one factor is that we are geographically quite large, but within a rather spread out area, still a, a relatively small campus. So as you might have noticed in other social experiments, small groups of people um, can often uh, move mountains or you can create a team sense with a smaller group before you branch that out and build on it. So I think starting out small was a good way to begin. On top of that, there's been deliberate and concerted efforts by the campus, by the assistant dean, by the NRC executive to kind of think 
mindfully about the experience we want faculty and students to have and create that from the outset. So as much as I think, you know, it might feel sometimes like we're flying by the seat of our pants, it's at the same time, it's with a, a solid mission and kind of guided set of principles that have been agreed upon um, from the beginning from which to move. On top of that, I think you get continual reflection and feedback uh, to sort of build and grow. So like many other things, that idea that culture, you know, it, it, it isn't something that, that happens spontaneously. There has to be some spark, but then it's a very um, meaningful and, and purposeful thing that, that you want to kind of continue. You know, I love the fact that you used a gardening metaphor because Niagara is well-renowned around the world for its fertile soil. So what an appropriate analogy for that. When you're talking about leadership and how they actually let that culture trickle down, especially over a wide geography, how do you do that? Amanda, as a leader in that region, how do you actually set that vision so that it, it reaches over such a wide geography? I think there are formal ways and informal ways that we can have that reach and have that influence. The formal ways are the less exciting, um, but more structured ways. So things like having a strategic plan. Um, we were deliberate in creating a st strategic plan four years ago that really identified what our priorities were going to be. And we recognize that the bulk of the work that happens at the campus is work where we don't have a lot of flexibility. We're delivering a quality undergraduate and postgraduate graduate education program within our geography, and that can't change. But we do have some wiggle room for um, creativity and for unique opportunities. And that was where we really wanted to define how do we identify ourselves and, and where do we want to prioritize our time and our energy and any resources that we have. Uh, so for us, that was really around engaging underserved populations and marginalized um, people within the community. And so a lot of our research efforts our outreach efforts, our faculty development efforts have been focused in those areas. Informally, it has been through the development of relationships, I think. Um, and again, in a wide geography, but small town feel, even across all of our communities, people know each other. And in knowing each other, there is a familiarity, there's a comfort, there's a pride of common effort. And we get to see the fruits of our labor in very real ways. So our recruitment and retention rate of trainees back into faculty and then into faculty leadership is enormous. And in seeing that full cycle within your career, within a small piece of your career, it is so rewarding. We now have multiple members of our executive team who were part of the first graduating class of the campus. We have new faculty that we're bringing in every year who are graduates of the campus from our undergrad program or from our postgrad program. And really for the leadership, there is nothing more exciting than seeing those people come back and say, I am choosing to stay here or I am choosing to return here because I feel part of this community. And that sort of further serves to build. So you see why you're putting the efforts in. Um, and then ultimately, it's about patient care and serving the population. And again, we see how the presence of the campus, the presence of learners, the presence of faculty works to recruit other high quality faculty, works to open up new clinical programs and provide you know, new innovative uh, care 
in different ways to the community and the communities get on board. So now municipalities are excited that we're here and partner institutions are excited that we're here. Um, and those relationships continue beyond the walls of our campus. Yeah, relationships seems to be a common theme when you're when you're thinking about creating that culture, right? And I think that especially in those smaller environments, that relationship that can be formed is so critical, right? Whether that's between colleagues or between patients and, uh, and, their, and their clinicians as well. I remember when in my training, I was up uh, in Northern Alberta and in a small town, and I remember seeing patients at the grocery store and the kind of interactions that you would have and, and how that really made the community proud uh, of its graduates. And, and it sounds like that really, um, it really is true in the Niagara region. When you're taking people through that transition from learner to faculty, how do you kind of manage that? Because that is a little bit of an interesting twist, right? Where someone trained in that environment and is now starting to teach in that environment. So as you're developing faculty, how do you instill kind of uh, that confidence as they move forward through those different transition points, essentially? Yeah, so I think the nice part about that is that especially if a trainee is returning um, to become faculty, they've moved through these cycles already. So there is a, an informal, almost mentorship process that has happened. They often know the familiarity is there. Um, as you've said, they'll recognize a, a face or they'll say, oh yes, I, I had my uh, you know, CTU with, uh, with you as the preceptor. Um, so that kind of thing. I think that really, it enforces and reinforces this trust. And knowing that you have a community that supports you, a, a strong network of folks who will help and back you up and just be there whether you use them or not, that gives you know, newer junior members a, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more the sense that they can do it. And you know, even if we can't do it, if there's a team backing us that will help us at any moment, I think that really is the, the thing you need to take the leap and say, yep, I can. How do you do that? How do you build those teams across wide geography? How have you been able to, to target that? Because that's a real challenge, even in, in smaller sites, right? If you think about a single hospital, it, you know, it's, it's, it's geographically condensed, but there's so many differences in how, how you build teams. So how are you able to create success over this wide geography, Amanda? One of the uh, benefits of being a smaller site is that we don't take a departmental view to what we do. So we view our faculty as a community of faculty members and aren't so focused on which department they come from or whether they teach primarily undergraduate trainees or postgraduate trainees. Um, so when we are offering faculty development, we're targeting broad topics that are going to be applicable across all of our faculty, as opposed to narrow ones that are really focused on a small group, which means our draw to events, while the actual number of people might not be huge, the diversity of who comes is quite broad. And that, again, reinforces that community, those relationships, it's specialists networking with their primary care colleagues who do the clinical referrals and now are teaching with them. Um, we invite and include students and residents in a lot of these events so that there is that added sense of here's why we do what we do, but also for us to have a chance to role model to them what that interdisciplinary collaboration looks like. And by not staying in departmental silos, we actually have a chance to meet people that we might not otherwise interact with in the region. Yeah, that's a real, um, 
lament I often hear in the more um, quaternary academic centers, right, where primary care and specialists kind of have become a little bit segregated. And I think many of us as health professions start to feel that, right? Like everyone is kind of in their own little silo of whatever health profession they're in, and there isn't as much interdisciplinary collaboration um, or interdepartmental collaboration as there could be. But I see that posing a lot of challenges. Anjali, how do you manage planning for faculty development if you're going to get, you know, such a wide range of individuals attending? How do you make sure that it resonates with them? I know in some of our sessions, you know, if you're like, even if the clinical case doesn't relate to their environment, they're like, oh, well, clearly I can't be involved in this case because it's in the emergency department and not the ICU or not the ward. And so there, there's a little bit of hesitance, I think, from, from us right off the bat. So how do you address that? Yeah, that's a great question. So as Amanda alluded to, um, we try and stick to topics, at least when they are presented to the larger faculty as a whole, that really do um, resonate or have some degree of, of impact on every department. So I'll give you the example. This year, we ran a session introducing folks to the principles of equity, diversity, and inclusivity. And, you know, I think no matter where you turn, no matter what department you're in, you're going to be impacted by this. And it's topical, it's timely, it's something that we all can open our eyes to whether you have a lot of experience in that or very, very little. Um, so quite often those type of events are driven actually by faculty feedback, by, by asking faculty members, what is it that you want? Because truthfully, if a faculty member who's engaged and interested identifies a learning need, they're identifying something that's going to be pertinent to dozens of others across every field of medicine. It, it's not going to be, it's rarely going to be pertinent to just one um, specialty. So that is a, a beautiful thing about having colleagues who collaborate and are willing to share and participate and, and tell me what is it that they would find valuable. Um, we had a group requesting uh, how to give better feedback and that you know, I would argue every single preceptor could benefit from how to give better feedback, even if you're the top feedback giver of your group. Um, so, so that seems to have worked well for us. I think feedback is a powerful piece because I, I heard that in, in how you're describing it, Amanda, that idea that you could actually see how learners are progressing through and joining as faculty. That's feedback, right? And I think that helps reinforce that type of culture. And from a community lens, that actually gives them hope and, and faith because they're seeing the product um, as it kind of does that. As a community site that has so many different clinical placement opportunities, how are you able to integrate into the community and, and offer learners unique opportunities that they might not have had in a more traditional academic center? That's another piece of deliberate planning and action that we take within our regional campus is uh, ensuring that we do actually integrate into the community, recognizing that our trainees, we want them to be prepared for eventual careers where they're not limited within the four walls of their institution or their clinic, where they have a sense of um, deep responsibility and commitment to the community in which they work and live and in anchoring that they're going to provide better care. So we are reaching out and partnering with elementary and secondary schools and the public health department. I have been to speak to the mayors of every community in Niagara to help them understand that medical education exists within their territory and that it really matters that medical education exists because it improves patient care, because it improves physician recruitment, because it improves physician retention. Um, we partner with agency like 
like agencies like the Boys and Girls Club um, to run our teddy bear clinics. But in doing that, it allows um, community members to see the great work of our trainees. And it allows our trainees to feel connected in turn to these organizations. And we're hoping that they're going to keep those connections and that sense of responsibility and duty back to the community as they continue their training. Um, and then once we get better known, we start to have opportunities. For instance, this year, there was an influenza vaccination program being run through one of the local churches uh, as part of their um, meal program in the winter, and they needed people to immunize and reached out to the campus. And we had students that were more than happy to do that. We created it as a learning experience for the students where they got teaching ahead of time on the actual clinical skills of vaccination, but also on the principles of um, social determinants of health and how housing insecurity can impact somebody's health. They went and actually vaccinated as part of the meal program at the church, but also interacted beyond that with the clients that were there um, and then had an opportunity to debrief after about what other organizations are available in the community for these individuals um, to have a sense that one one interaction, one medical encounter is not enough to change the path of somebody who may be struggling in the moment, but connection with the healthcare system and proper referral to other resources may be enough to change that person's path. Um, so it ends up being a reciprocal relationship and the more organizations are aware of our presence, the more there are those chances to um, have a real bi-directional relationship. And it sounds like you really created an environment where learners also get that feedback from the community. And I think that when I think about the challenges that we face in our training, um, sometimes one of the things that happens is that you don't actually see the end outcome for the patient, right? You're, you're just providing this little episodic care. You're only seeing a small moment in their whole journey. And sometimes then it starts to feel like your part in that process didn't make a difference, right? And I think that one of the things in the COVID pandemic, at least I've felt like belonging to a community has been a big protective factor, right? Because that was uh, such an isolating experience. And it sounds like your learners are really getting that hands-on involvement in the community as part of their training and starting to see how an impact, what an impact they can have uh, locally. And that, that's just fantastic to hear. Our community members are often the best physician recruiters that are out there. So as our students are in rotations, they have patients who are very grateful to be meeting with them, who are happy to be teachers in sharing their experience we help the students to understand what a privileged position they're in to be allowed to share in the healthcare journeys of these patients. But patients are often telling them where the best sale on shoes are or trying to do, be a matchmaker or um, offering real estate opportunities, um, <laughs> not in um, a manipulative way, but in a genuinely interested, I'm so excited you're here. What can I do to help you stay here? long term. And um, Anjali and I both see that within our practices, the absolute excitement of our patients to be part of medical education. But we see that more broadly in the community, um, the gratitude and real desire of the communities to engage and keep our trainees here. I love the matchmaker theme. I, I hear a, a, a swarm of aunties who are ready to sign up for this, uh, this service. <laughs> 
Uh, and I actually remember being in, uh, in my clerk, uh, in my clerkship, I was in a Northern Alberta community. I remember them aggressively trying to find me a grill. And when I told them I had a partner, they were very disappointed and said it was, was probably bad for their chances of, uh, of me staying in the community <laughs> afterwards. And I guess they were right. So <laughs> uh, when you're thinking about these programs and, and, and we've kind of had a long conversation around culture, what are some tips you have for faculty who are trying to create that environment um, in their smaller environments, whether that's, you know, their, their clinic or, or their ward or their unit, how can we apply some of these principles that you've been able to execute over such a wide geography? How can we apply that to the smaller settings? Uh, I'll turn to Anjali for that. I think the, the first step would be starting out small. So I love this idea, as you brought up, you know, and Amanda has touched on it as well, these layers of community. Um, starting out in your office, starting out with some intentionality to creating community and thinking about what is the culture, what is the experience that either a learner in your office or you're rotating with you in that week's clinic, what do you want them to get out of it? What is the kind of place you want to work at? How do you want your colleagues and coworkers to feel? How do you want to prioritize interdisciplinary care and connections with, with um, colleagues. As a primary care provider, I've been surprised at the number of times a specialist will say, yeah, if you have any concerns, just call me. And the number of times I don't take them up on that when, in fact, just calling, it's another branch. It's another way to build community and share that culture and understand, oh, thanks for taking my call. It really helped me out and it helped me understand. And so if I can show that learner the same thing, I'm building that as well. So regardless of the end size, starting out small and, and propelling that idea forwards in those small ways, I think can help. Um, some of us are sort of natural networkers and so it's easier than others to you know reach out and and physically get people together when in non-pandemic times um, virtually get people together um, I think the Niagara campus has also been particularly thoughtful about balancing the request of of time or the investment and trying to address it with some kind of reward and and perhaps reward is not the right word i feel like amanda may may be more eloquent on this but that idea that i am also getting something out of this i am not just giving my time and energy to create this culture i am getting from it um so you know the the ultimate compliment of course the the learner comes back and becomes a colleague but uh i would say even in smaller different ways i feel rewarded when i get to sit next to a brand new OBGYN at a, a meeting who's just come and joined the community and has said to me, you know, I'm really involved, or I'm really interested in teaching. How would I get started? That's, that's just as satisfying. I hope that answers the question. Absolutely. Amanda? I'm also going to share enthusiasm is contagious. So those of us that love what we do and are enthusiastic about what we do, uh, we can positively influence our colleagues. Um, so it starts when a learner walks into a rotation with you. Are they warmly welcomed? Do they know where to go? Do they have the comforts that they need, somewhere to hang their coat and somewhere to put their lunch and somebody that says, here's where the coffee machine is. Are your staff excited about having them there? Because ahead of time, you went to the staff and said, it's going to be great next week. We've got a learner coming and I can't wait to show them this, that and the other thing. Um, and, and so that grows. And we then embed the trainees in the community. So I have a 
trainee with me for four weeks, but I make sure they go and spend a day in the pharmacy working with my friend, the pharmacist, who talks to them about how to write a prescription properly and what's available and what's over the counter and what a compound mixture looks like. And then I send them to spend a day at the public health department because their information and resources around supporting young moms is so much more than what I'm going to be able to offer in the office. And then I ask one of my colleagues who does surgical assist if the trainee could spend half a day in the OR with them. And in doing that, we're engaging them in different parts of our work, showing them the, the broad opportunities, um, but also allowing other people to get excited about having them there. And we can expand that out. So if we believe that education in the community is important, we have to preach that, we have to role model that, and we have to get the enthusiasm going. And then when I'm talking to the mayors, I can get them enthusiastic. And next thing they do is they want to sponsor a lunch for the medical students, or they want to understand what are the challenges to setting up practice in their community and how might they address that. And we've now created a ripple effect that goes beyond the trainee in our office in the moment um, and expands to a welcoming environment more broadly. I think trainees are so sensitive to that passion and enthusiasm that a faculty has when a trainee shows up on the first day, I think really sets the tone for their whole experience. And I think we can all think about times in our own training when we showed up to a rotation and they were like super enthused to have us. And other times where it was like, oh, a student today, really? Can you go with my colleague instead? No, really? You have to be with me. And I think that just really sets the whole um, experience up either for success or failure. And kind of like you were saying, Anjali, like the idea that if the trainee wants to come back and actually work there, well, then you've done the best marketing job possible and you've actually created a really um, sustainable culture for them. And I think I'm also hearing from you that each one of us individually in our environments can be that agent, right? Can be the one who creates that and then spreads that contagion through uh, your department. Uh, that was a little bit uh, not great with COVID going on, but <laughs> spread in a good way, let's say. What are some of the, the challenges that you see for creating this culture in these distributed settings? We definitely have the challenge in our campus of the vast majority of our faculty being part-time, um, which means teaching for them is something they do out of enthusiasm and passion, but not something they're required to do. It's not tied in any way to their hospital privileges or to their ability to work within the community. And so we are asking people that are already overworked to do more um, often for remuneration that is not commensurate with what they could be uh, receiving clinically. And I recognize that's not unique to smaller communities, but the, the part-time faculty piece is often unique and um, our teachers could easily leave with really very little impact on them and a very great impact on us. So that need for connection and sense of identity and sense of belonging is, is even more important. And I think that we still struggle against perceptions that we are somehow less equipped or less trained, less specialized, less able to provide educational experiences to trainees at a higher level. Um, it's all well and good to send them to the country when they're starting, but then as they get smarter, brighter, faster, closer to being finished their training, we best keep them in the ivory tower because that's where they'll get the best skills. Um, and 
Anjali and I and all of our colleagues in Niagara would argue strongly against that, but we are very cognizant of what we're equipped to do here, what who we're equipped to train here, and the times that we do need to pull in our subspecialist colleagues and offer trainees opportunities in academic health science centers where they can gain the skills that they need to. So we have to be very aware that while this environment is good for a great deal of education, it's not um, the only optimal environment. And there are times that we really do need to engage with other environments to make sure our trainees at the end of the day have the well-rounded education they deserve. How do you combat that cultural kind of hidden curriculum piece that's there, right? Because I, I think that that's really prominent, right? Like academic health science centers, those quaternary centers sort of have a little bit of a, a messaging that, you know, certain certain things are better here. Um, and sometimes that's not always addressed as certain things are better here. Sometimes it's addressed as certain things are worse elsewhere. How do you, how do you kind of combat that in your, in the environment that you're trying to create for your learners and that you obviously have? So I'd say it starts, um, again, with those small changes you can make. Quite often in our small communities, I'm sure Amanda has had this encounter dozens of times, the patient themselves will have a perception that this procedure or specialist or, or whatever it is that they may need referral to will somehow be better in Toronto. It'll be better in Hamilton. And so, you know, providing some reassurance and education and, and really believing in our colleagues and our colleagues' skill set and the high caliber of, of medicine that's being practiced locally, um, I think that goes a long way. If I can feel confident in my colleagues, my learner absorbs that, my patient understands that. And like we had mentioned earlier, that ripple effect can happen. It has to happen from the inside as well, right? I, I have to know these people. I have to trust these people. And so that comes through time. But again, you know, it, it, as you mentioned initially, Aline, the, the kind of thematic uh, constant here is relationships, right? Building those relationships, trusting um, colleagues and, and using that to shift the needle, using that to shift the cultural milieu to one of trust and competency. And actually we can, we can do it right here. That's, that's great. And it's an inspiring message to leave our trainees with. Uh, I think I'm hearing the importance of, of building that relationship with your trainee just right from day one, instilling that culture and reinforcing that message through your own actions, and then creating a community where the value you receive is also from those interactions so that you get that constant, constant feedback. Um, this has been a really enlightening conversation. I feel like there's so many things that I can take away for my own practice and my own approach to trainees, but I wanted to offer an opportunity if there were other things you wanted to add to our conversation today. Uh, Amanda, was there anything else you wanted to add to our, um, to our chat today? Thank you for this opportunity. It's, uh, we love talking about what we do because we love what we do. And so uh, we really are grateful uh, for this chance. The one piece I want to leave is the idea that Distributed medical education is actually not something unique to regional campuses or to distributed sites. In an ideal medical education world and in a healthcare education world, every site should be a distributed site of the program. And we should have this sense that we work within a geography, we train our trainees within a geography, and each piece of that geography has a different opportunity to bring trainees. It is unlikely that one piece can provide all 
things for all trainees, um, but there are opportunities across the geography, whether it's at a regional campus, whether it's at a clinical education campus, whether it is at a single clinic functioning independently in one of our, you know, more remote communities. Um, these are all excellent, worthy training sites. And there needs to not be a judgment placed or an idea of us and them, an idea of central and distributed. We really are just a network of learning sites and learning opportunities. And we need to really work to distribute the education across that network. That, that's so true, right? And, and I think about my experiences in, in smaller centers versus larger centers and where you're student number five, you know, at the back of the OR kind of trying to peer over someone's shoulder and versus your you're one-on-one with a, with a faculty member in a clinic in a smaller area. I hope that the pandemic has also opened our eyes to how we can leverage technology, right, and offer some of those, you know, specialized uh, areas that we need to, some of the training sessions, uh, having an interaction with faculty across a wider variety too, we can leverage technology for that and use synchronous and asynchronous technology for that. So I'm, I'm hoping that the uptick with COVID will will bring some of that more um, appreciation for how we can leverage more uh, distributed sites. I really like that idea that we're all just kind of one, one part of one, one large network. So that's great. Um, Anjali, did you have anything you wanted to leave our listeners with? It may be a little corny, but I'll I'll strike back on the uh, gardening analogy and and think about you know that culture idea as that as as a kind of a tree branch that's being extended, and whether that extension is from me to my colleague or to the learner, or I'm showing the learner how to extend that branch, you know that that is what builds the network. Thank you both so much for your time and uh, spending this afternoon with us today. I hope our listeners all uh, enjoyed our conversation today and have some pearls that they can take away to build culture in their own little mini distributed environments. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's macpfd.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.